Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Easy Conversations, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host for Candandia. In this week's episode, I sit down with Curtis Blind, who shares his experience of uh, growing up in residential school in Saskatchewan. Uh, some of the stories Curtis shares are very difficult to hear, and I just want to caution the listeners. While Curtis shares a lot of difficult stories. He also mentioned to me that not everything was all bad about residential schools. However, you know, I wanted to use this as an opportunity and bring Curtis on as a guest so he can share the inside perspective of what it was like uh, growing up in a residential school. Uh, personally, you know, I, I never knew all the details. I mean, I've heard about residential schools, but I was very ignorant to a lot of the things that happen, and especially in the Indigenous culture. And I wanted to bring awareness for for other people as well. Uh, I hope you can get a lot out of this episode. I really did. And if you could leave a review at the end, I would truly appreciate it. All right, Curtis. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining. Uh, I'm super grateful for you taking the time today. Uh, you know, we've been talking about doing this for a while and, you know, I've approached you a few times. Yeah. Um, but again, <laughs> I uh, really appreciate you doing this and me. Um, but before we get started on the topic we want to cover today, I want to give an opportunity for you to like introduce yourself, you know, who you are, uh, where you're from, and then we'll kind of get into uh, some of the things we want to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Curtis, uh, Curtis Bland. I grew up in uh, central Saskatchewan. I'm from the Gordon's um, First Nation Reserve um, outside of Regina there. And that's also where I, my residential school was, was, was actually where I'm from. Yeah. Um, uh, I believe in the records it's called uh, Gordon Indian Residential School is what it was called. So anybody that's doing a search or a Google search, that's what they'll, that's what they'll find it under. Um, yeah. all score all schools were notorious but ours was probably had the most cases mm -hmm. um in a, in a specific time and was the last right. uh, the last uh, school closed um we're going to talk about maybe my experience and um my experience of course is different from maybe somebody the generation before so we'll just uh ease into that and yeah go from there so i'm gonna let you start the conversation and yeah for sure and i think uh you know we want to touch on residential schools today and um i mean for most people in canada i, I would say even some canadians are don't fully appreciate the the context behind re residential schools so i i just wanted to i pulled some stuff off online and mm -hmm. just to give people some context i'm just going to read through some of the information here but basically you know the the whole concept of residential schools was kind of came from the european influence that we had in canada and you know these residential schools were sponsored by the government uh and yes. they were meant to be religious in nature yes. um essentially they were created by christian churches uh as well as the canadian government to assimilate and convert the indigenous youth uh, into Canadian society. Um, unfortunately, these schools disrupted lives and communities and it's caused 
you know, long-term problems amongst uh, the Indigenous population here in Canada. And as you mentioned, like, you know, a lot of these cool, obviously these schools are now closed with the last be one being in 1997. Um, right. It's called Grolier Hall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for people like, I mean, we're going to get into the experience here, but, you know, there was probably, there's, uh, 150,000 children that attended these residential schools and you know unfortunately 6,000 of these children died at their during their time in these residential schools yeah um, and and basically this kind of started around 1830 and then like I said the last one uh, was shut down in 1997 um, yeah and and I think uh, what they here, I think that's what you mentioned, the Gordon Residential School in Punuki, Saskatchewan? Panachai. Panachai, okay. Panachai was the town. Uh, George Gordon's First Nation was was the reserve it was on. Yeah. Um, uh, it was a white farming town uh, where we were bused to school as we went to high school because they had the high school. Right. The residential school didn't have our didn't have um, only went up to grade six. Oh, okay. But in okay. town, in town, they had um, grades one through six, one through twelve. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, you know, that that kind of gives us some context here. But we fully, like, at least I personally, and, and I think most listeners wouldn't fully appreciate the the experience and the pain that comes with it. And um, yeah. I guess the initial question I would have is who decided and you know like say when you were about to go to school who decided you were going to go to one of these schools and and how were you sent there so i was probably one of the last generations sent there at this point i think to my understanding mm -hmm. um my parents were going through a divorce and i was living with my grandmother i believe and then they made that decision and they put me into school, um, into that school. Um, it wasn't my mother or my father, um, but I think my grandparent, my grandmother did. Um, and that, that's, how I, that's how I started being there. That being said, I had a lot of cousins from both sides of my family there um, and a lot of relatives who actually worked there when I went there. Um, when I started, which was 1975, was fall of 1975, the government had already handed over, the, the, the church was no longer running mm -hmm. the, the show there. We didn't have the, the priests and the nuns there when I got there. Um, a man by the name of W.P. Star, William P. Star, um, had taken over, I believe, in 1972. And that's where my journey journey began but that is how i started there um if we're going back to the beginning of them a lot of those kids were taken they were taken and uh just to add to one maybe one of the first sentences you got about why they created these schools mm -hmm. was and it might be harsh but it's true it was to kill the indian mm -hmm. to kill the indian inside of you uh, you can use the nice word assimilation mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, but it was basically to uh, get the savage out of you. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how we were viewed. 
um, right. heathens. We weren't Christians. Mm -hmm. um, missionaries came over and that's how that all started. The government of Canada. I mean, you can go far back as treaties. You can go to any number of ways to find that trail back to the beginning of the residential schools. But those first children were taken. Mm -hmm. They were not, they, their grandmothers did not willingly send them. They went out to, um, um, I don't know if they were called agents, but they would go out and capture. They would go out and take the kids from the home because this was in their best interest, separating them from their culture. And, uh, thus, uh, in an attempt to, uh, to, to cause genocide on an entire culture by starting with the children mm -hmm. and uh, systematically destroying the, the Indian inside them. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's a few questions based on everything you've said. I think, mm -hmm. I mean, the idea was if they can target the children, it would be easier to, to like you said, wipe the culture out and mm -hmm. then for future generations, you know, the culture would basically be extinct. That's Absolutely. Pretty much the idea. And when you say taken, like, obviously, it sounds like the parents or whether the grandparents uh, were involved, like, they didn't really have a choice in this or a say in the matter. It was just these kids were taken and, and that's it. There's no, like. Yeah, I, I think even up to as maybe 1940, the kids were still being taken. Like just taken. I can't remember what these men and women were called that went into the reserves, some to remote communities, flying in, like just and grabbing the kids and taking them. And just uh, these, some of them never heard from those children again, never saw them again. Sometimes some of them, if they're lucky, returned in the, in the summertime when school was over. And, um, but like you said, that number you have, the 6,000 number dead. Nobody knows where those children are. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they, don't, they don't have graves. They don't have markers. They just, they don't exist. So, uh, but there came a time when okay, how am I trying to say this now? Once you had that first generation of those kids going, mm -hmm and maybe even the second generation. Now that first generation became reliant on this system. And that's all they knew. They were pretty much, um, this just became a part of the life. Um, and uh, I, I don't think my grandparents went. I don't think my grandparents were ever um, in there. They were uh, homesteaders, they were farmers. But my parents were both um, in day school because there was the day school as well. There was the residential school, but there was also day school where the kids, uh, like my parents, came and they attended school, but could go home at night. They didn't, they didn't live there, but we're still under the same thing with the nuns, and the, the priests, and that sort of thing. And it didn't lessen the, the impact it had on their lives because they were, both my parents were abused. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, I, I don't know exactly how, if I'm being eloquent enough, how um, how the further generations. I'm trying to think of your original question for where you you said, well, how did you end up there? 
Well, no, I think you mentioned the, your grandma sent you, right? And and yeah. I think, um, I mean, building on that, I guess you know the the idea was again to wipe the culture out. Now, yeah, you know, I, I obviously there was force and there wasn't a lot of choice and in some cases there was maybe choice like in yours in, um in my, yeah absolutely but once you get to the school now like say now the kids are at the school now what is happening what are they doing or what were they doing in terms of wiping you know from their perspective like the the indigenous culture out of you and and you mentioned abuse but what are we mm -hmm. talking about? Like, what okay, was that like? I can I can only speak to my mm -hmm. absolutely to, to to my experience. Yeah. Um, I know as far as my my aunts, my uncles, my father, my mother, their hair was cut. They were dressed in like they did not resemble native mm -hmm. people. Like they had the curls. They had you know they they, they the look was changed from. Mm -hmm what people see our native people as. Um, uniforms, almost. In the early days, there was uniforms. So when I came in, in 1975, there were still remnants of those, of those uniforms there. Um, so when I, first, when I first arrived there, um, uh, the first thing we did was they took our clothes and uh, they, we lined up and there was a place, a room and uh, a woman, I'm not going to name any names yeah, because absolutely. I come from here and a lot of these people's aren't people that I know. Yeah. And I just don't want to cause problems for them. No, no, that's fine. Um, some of them are not even alive, but uh, their families still are. Uh, we would be issued two sets of clothes. Um, and your clothes would rotate. Also, you were issued a number. You were given a number. I was given um, 66. And I was one of them that remained 66 throughout, throughout my uh, whole time there. Some kids had different numbers, mm -hmm. uh, depending on the level that you were at. There were three levels. Juniors, being the youngest kids, mm -hmm. six to eight to nine, nine, the 12 intermediates and then from there you went to become a senior mm -hmm. um so first day we get there um and uh yeah issued the number issued the clothes they took your clothes they washed them they rolled them up in a bundle with tape and your number was on it you didn't have a name mm -hmm. you know um of course they called me kurt and things like that yeah. what was the what but, was the what why in numbers like why were like why? i think it was easier i think it was an easier an easier system uh um because in the records i'm not known as 66. Mm -hmm. i'm known as kurt but when they were there was boxes um in these in this one room and each room had, each little box had a number. So when it was that day to change out your clothes and then put put your dirty clothes in, and then get your new clothes, your new towels, mm -hmm. things like that. And I don't know what the schedule is. I can't remember. I think it was every three days. Every Wednesday, I think you got a fresh, mm -hmm. you got a fresh set and then on the weekend. 
um, you never saw your own clothes. Right. And, and until you went home, until like Christmas time, or then you right. got your clothes back and you went home in your clothes. Um, during, uh, you would go to, when you got back from school in the afternoon, they would do like a roll call. There you'd, you'd be in a big room with your group, intermediate, junior, whatever you might be. And that's how they would call you. They didn't call you by your name. They called you by your number. 66 here, four here, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. They didn't say Kurt or Bobby or, you know, anything like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, if they were talking to us individually, they would say, hey, Kurt, and that sort of thing. They wouldn't just say, oh, 66, we're, yeah. you know, sort of thing. Yeah. No. Um, so I think the it was just easier to, to, to use those numbers um, as an identifying marker. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, they, um, I wasn't cataloged as 66, at least not in the records that I've seen yeah. since in, in anything, uh, any of the records. I don't, because uh, I, uh, at one point <laughs> when I was an intermediate senior, I broke into the records room to see, to see what my record had said, because mm -hmm. uh, I'd, I'd acted out you know, in a couple of things. And I remember I broke in and I was, uh, I got quite good at that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but I don't remember ever being called 66 on the records. And I don't think, uh, any, yeah, anything. So, um, so yeah, so for, for juniors, you had, um, in those days, if you ever look at the schools, they pretty much all had the same blueprint. I don't know if you've looked at any of the pictures. I mean, I've seen like the, a red. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I saw that in the in the pictures online, just the, the red kind of roof and yeah. The red brick building, the red yeah. brick building with the front, yeah. Um, so there was boys and girls sides. In my school, at least, there was split right down the middle, boys on one side, girls on the other. Mm -hmm. And but on, on the top in those days, when I first started, is where the juniors were. I was six years old mm -hmm. um, in 1975, about to turn seven. So I was two years, I was in grade two. Mm -hmm. And um, I keep losing my train of thought, Ferk. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Um, you would. Let me, let me, let's say, let me, do you have a question? Maybe that might make it easier. Yeah, no, sure. I guess, uh, I guess just to, again, put it into perspective, like, you know, you're six, you've been taken to the school now and essentially um, all the kids would stay there, right? Like you said, I mean, yeah, you basically live there, was... there and then you may get to go back on Christmas, but you didn't see your family otherwise. All you knew was the teachers. I did. I they... was lucky, but... I was lucky because the grandmother who sent me there worked there. Okay. Yeah, she worked there. My grandfather was the carpenter for the yeah. for the school. Yeah. Um, the the red at the residential school at this time had become a source of employment mm -hmm. for a lot of uh, band members from the band members around. Right. Um, so you know, it's not like I could just skip down and go and see. Right. Yeah, but I, I guess for most kids whose family members didn't work there, they essentially no, didn't oh, see yeah. their family. There was, that was a, I'm sorry to interrupt. There was a great, a majority of the kids, yeah, they came from faraway places. 
They came from, yeah, hundreds, 200 kilometers away. Some came from Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you really felt for those kids. Some of those, I remember one kid when we first started could not speak English. He could only speak Soto, uh, which is a type of uh, a native language. Yeah. Uh, I'm, most of us were Cree there, but he was Soto and he didn't know, he was just a tiny little guy. I don't even think he was even supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. but or was old enough to even be there yeah his name was Mervin it was just uh what you felt for this little kid man like he was you know most yeah. of us did not speak Cree at this time it had already been pretty much drummed out of us mm-hmm. um my parents both didn't speak Cree but my grandparents did so yeah. you can see the generation how it went how this how the assimilation and uh Kill the Indian. Yeah, was working. How oh, I would uh, was successfully working. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I was one of the lucky ones. Uh, my father did become a uh, a night watchman there. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a whole that's a whole other story, and I don't know if I'll touch on that today. But if we do, um, that's pretty cool because with his experience, of course, it did damaged him both him and my mother quite quite a bit love that works but they grew up in the time of nuns and uh and priests Mm -hmm. and and uh faced uh quite uh violent measures yeah uh by that from the hands from the hands of them from the nuns uh, in their own own way yeah no and i wanted to Uh, touch on that a little bit like if you're mm -hmm. you know if if you don't mind sharing like you know you've you've talked about yeah, yeah, you've talked about the abuse and and stuff like that. Like, I guess the two questions I have based on mm-hmm. that is is you know what kind of abuse was there and why was it there from your understanding? For me personally, my story. Yeah, or or in or, general, like what you're aware of, like you know, because you've mentioned abuse. I don't and like, know why they were so vicious. I don't know. Why <laughs> these uh, these Christians? I mean, uh, were so terrible mm-hmm. uh, and and beating and, and doing what they were, but uh, they were quite successful at what they were chosen to do. I don't know if the government hired them specifically mm-hmm. these mean ones, because mm-hmm. majority of them were. Yeah, you know, as far as I know, I, I know my dad was. Uh, as he put it, uh, this one nun would uh, says she would never miss an opportunity when she walked by my desk and just whack him with one of those, you know, those big yardsticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they walked around with those, and she just and she demean him and call him dummy. And finally, I think Dad only went to grade two or three, or no six. I think grade six he went to. Mm-hmm. But he was the oldest and he just, he was a day student, remember, but still exposed to those people as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, my, both my parents were the oldest in their families. And when you were the oldest and there's a lot of kids, you eventually were called out to, uh, to help with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Dad, dad left. He said, I wasn't learning anything anyways. I was just getting hit all the time. So I just left at grade six and went to work with uh, his dad on the phone homestead mm-hmm. 
but it definitely left his mark. It left its mark on dad. Um, yeah. You know, I, he always, uh, he would mention it. And, but, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about my dad. I just lost him uh, about a year, year and some ago. So I'm just thinking yeah. about dad. For, yeah, no, uh, same with same with uh, same with my mom. Yeah, same thing. She was uh, left-handed. She was left-handed, and my mom has this reddish tinge to her hair. Mm -hmm. Now you put those two together <laughs> with a, with a, with a, someone who's a firebrand or a hellfire, and uh, yeah, she was called a witch. They tie her hands behind her back, so she would tie right with the with the right hand, mm. uh, cut her hair, then just uh, cruel, unnecessarily yeah. cruel but I guess necessary to what their ends were, to what they wanted to do, which was. Right. So they, they had an outcome in mind and, and they used abuse as a form of conformity, right? And, like, and was it- had rage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And was it similar in your case, like when you were going to school, like was it- the, or, Go ahead, I'm sorry. Or had kind of been toned down, uh, like in your generation compared to your the parents. nuns, the nuns and the priests were gone a few years before I. I think in 1969 or 1970 they were gone. Um, so when I started in '74, a man had taken over uh, in that respect, and his name was William P. Starr, mm -hmm. and that who would become the administrator for my time. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where the abuse comes into play, not only with 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 Mr. I was going to call him Mr. Star because that's what we were that's what we had to address him as. Um, uh, but he was uh, for me and the guys I grew up with. Uh, he was what you would call uh, grooming. He would groom us kids, us boys, and um, I'm just trying to be as clear as I possibly can and not lose my train of thought because mm -hmm. it is very important how he did this. Boys, six, seven, eight. He didn't have full on touching at this point. He was um, make a game of it, almost a reward system because we were given allowance. Uh, I think it was a quarter or 25 cents in there because we also had a, a canteen and this this canteen also comes back into play in the story. So when Star had this big desk um, in his office, and that's where you went to get your allowance and call you out or call your number and you go up. And anyways, it, it would feel like it was a game. It was uh, a male figure because a lot of us had absent fathers. A lot of us didn't have a father figure and we're missing that. So this was our, I don't want to say father, I want to say this was our male figure. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, anyways, this huge desk, two, three, four boys, because we were small. I've got to remember a six-year-old boy, seven-year-old boy, we're still quite young. Mm -hmm. And um, could fit under this desk and Star would um, make himself hard. And his pants were still on, but he would make it a game. He would um, to bounce his dick in his, in his pants. And you're a kid, so you think this is funny. Oh, look at this, this is, you know? And that was the beginning of the grooming. That was 
the reward system. Okay, oh, well, look how fun this is. Or, and then you were getting your 50 cents. You were getting your allowance. So that was the association. Um, as things progressed as you went along, Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to go into brackets of junior, senior, uh, yep. junior, intermediate, senior. Mm-hmm. So I was only a junior for, I think, a year. And I went into intermediates right after that. Um, I, I want to say, I want to talk about, actually, I probably cut in at this point that the people who looked after us, Star, Star oversaw everybody mm-hmm. each uh, group juniors seniors intermediates all had two child care workers mm-hmm. that's what they were called child care workers so i had two i had a woman and i had a a man um him i'm going to mention by name because he means a lot to me mm-hmm. and uh yeah there's a good man his name was uh, mr k and uh I think every day for that man. I tell you, my man um, couldn't protect us, mm-hmm. but tried his damnedest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other ones, the other um, care child care workers that I had here, the the woman in the juniors, and the other man, because Mister K came with me, or I went with him mm-hmm. when I went into intermediates. But there was another man who was in the intermediates. And um, that woman and that man were vicious. Mm-hmm. They were cruel. Uh, I'd been beaten by um, the woman in my junior year. Um, I was an unfeminine boy. And she picked me up pretty fast. And she did not like that. And I believe that was the driving force. I'd been hit with... Um, furniture mm-hmm. up the head um to this day i can't have anyone go near my head or make the movement towards my head because i just if anyone tries to touch me or anything, i i freak out mm-hmm. um, it, it just triggers me uh the, whereas the other man the other man was violent um i think he only got me once i was in, i was an intermediate for three years but I, he got me. He got me earlier on. He got me earlier on. He threw me down a set of stairs. For uh, I can't remember what it was. Um, yeah, he, he had uh, taken me, and so I was probably seven or eight when he did that. Seven, I believe. Six, seven. No, I would have been eight years old. He took me and he threw me down a set of stairs. And we had these were big stairs. Yeah, these were there was thirteen to twenty steps in between each floor, so I, I took uh, I went down there. My mother had not lived too far away, um, about two kilometers maybe, mm-hmm. was where she was living and working, and I had run away after that, and I, I just went to her and I just stayed silent, and then she just looked at me and says, "What's wrong?" what's wrong you know and then just said what 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 is wrong Mm -hmm. and i just lost it and i and i told her what happened well she uh she grabbed me and cleaned me up 
and then we went on the fastest walk I ever went on back to that school. And in front of everybody, she just, uh, she ripped that man a new one. You ever come near my son again, I'll fucking kill you. You mm -hmm. ever touch him again. So he never fucked with me again after that. But I yeah. watched him. I watched him beat my friends stupidly. Mm -hmm. uh, cords, you know, the, the cords of um, electrical appliances? Yeah. Taking yeah. those off. I seen him grab people off the tops of the bunk beds and just uh, hearing the, th oh man, Ferk, the sickening thud of my best friend's head hitting the floor. I'm just going limp, but still being fucking beat. Just the life being beat out of him by this man. And we're standing there, standing witness to this, having not being able to, to do anything. Mm -hmm. So that's the childcare workers. Not all were bad. Mm -hmm. Those two were. But Mr. K, I just want to say it was, uh, I was a good man. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate to have him yeah. as my childcare worker up until my teens, up until I think maybe the last two years. And um, then his story uh, kind of ends with me there. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as star goes, we can move into the the second portion of the grooming, if you want, or did you have a question? No, I, well, I mean, you know, I'm just, uh, I, I just, <laughs> I don't know, even know what to say. Uh, you know, I think about it, my son's seven, eight, and I can't even imagine him going through that. So, you know, it's just, it's really tough to hear. And, um, you know, again, I thank you for sharing this because it must mm -hmm. be hard to talk about. Um, but yeah, I think sometimes <laughs> it is. I don't know why, but yeah, but it is sometimes because when you just said that, when you just said that, when you said when I look at my son or if I think about my child at that time, that's when it hits me is when I see pictures of myself when I was six years old and I went, who would do that? Because mm -hmm. I learned to take myself out of that. Yeah. Somehow through through a survival instinct or through a defense mechanism, I knew I, I could remove myself from that. Yeah. So I didn't see that until I grew up and as was fully groomed and, and, and fully mm -hmm. in a when you don't know differently. Yeah. You don't know it's wrong. You don't know it's wrong because you don't know differently. Um, as you got older, you knew something was not right, that this was not right. Yeah. But this is the way things were. Let's put it that way. Yeah. There was no, um, I'm going to move into the intermediate part, which yeah. is when the, 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 the abuse gets uh, heavier. With Star in particular, because that's where a majority of my uh, abuse came from. Mm-hmm. So I turned into an intermediate. Now, by this time, the grooming was continued as you get older with more games and more of a reward system. Um, your allowance was upped. Um, he also had this room. And in the room, he had a TV. You gotta remember, this is way back in the 70s, early 80s. And uh, he had a sauna. 
Mm-hmm. He had a stand, a sit down sauna for one. And I, no one can see me, so I don't know why I'm making the motions of yeah. the sauna. But imagine a full grown man sitting in a box. Now, in this box, there are room for two boys to sit in the sauna. But the game was, oh, hey, I'm good. What a reward. What fun. What a, what a great game. This is the sauna. And there was snacks and pop and everything in this room. And uh, the childcare workers were in the room with us there. I don't know. I don't know where they were, but mm-hmm. a group of us kids were in there. And it was fun. It was almost like a, an honor. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You got picked to go in the room and go watch TV and have these snacks. Because that's what you think of as a kid. Yeah. Uh, snacks and pop and, and fun games. And, and, and being recognized, being seen. Mm-hmm. being acknowledged um and then uh full-on nudity and touching because you had to be nude to be in the to be in that sauna yeah and um so yeah so that's this that's when he would start encouraging uh, more hands-on touching touching through the the towel and he would do the same thing and um walk around with a towel on his uh, wrecked cock, his penis. And, um, I'm trying to hear it how you hear it. Because for me, this is just how it was. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around how it must be to your ears to hear this especially a father with a young child. And that's, uh, that's kind of messing with me right now. But I'll just, uh, I'll continue with the story. From, um, I was a intermediate for um, three years. And then I, I moved in into a senior. I think when I was, I think I was starting to be, I think I was 12. Maybe I was an intermediate for four or five. Is that the math? Because I think I was about 12 years old when I became a senior. And that was scary as hell. The older, the older boys were in there. And um, um, that being said, there was also abuse from the older boys on the younger boys, because that's mm-hmm. what they were taught. That's what yeah. they were taught. That's what they knew. And they were coming into puberty and, coming into this and it was an easy mark Mm -hmm. um so as a young guy you were getting it from all fucking ends there the supervisors child care workers um star and the older boys um so i became a senior and that's when the full-on physical like the full-on sexual assaults started happening uh so and that was, I don't want to say natural progression, but that seemed the way it worked, mm-hmm. the way he did it, the way he groomed was uh, very methodical. He was a very methodical predator. And um, around that time, I think it was my last year of the intermediates, I was uh, sick one day and I had to stay home from school. And I, 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 I was parched or I needed 
milk or something, or I wanted something to eat because I'd woke up and I was hungry because I missed school. And around 10.30 each morning, the childcare workers would all meet mm-hmm. down in the kitchen, in the dining room, which is where we all ate. And on this day was when I learned that they knew. They knew what was happening to us. They were making jokes about it. They were laughing about it. And that was it. There was nothing to be done. Mm-hmm. You, couldn't, you couldn't, why didn't you just tell somebody is what people always ask. How come you didn't say something to somebody? Who were you going to tell? Yeah. Who were you going to tell? You were groomed and Star had a very particular dialogue that could put the fear of God into you. Mm-hmm. That could, uh, he had a way of saying things or withholding, withholding and not including in the fun stuff, mm-hmm. like the motorbikes. In the seniors, you, there was motorbikes. There was motorbikes, there was trips, there was uh, all sorts of things. The rewards were always there. Um, as part of that uh, whole structure that he had for grooming. Um, and that was uh, for me personally, who was I going to tell if they all knew and they didn't do anything about it? Mm-hmm. Who could I tell? Yeah. And at that point, the shame, when you're turning into a, a young man and you know what that's like, you don't want to say that you're being touched. You don't want to say that. You know, it's, you're losing your sense of manliness or you lost that power. And it's a very shameful thing. So that's why a lot of, that's why we never told anybody. We uh, internalized that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what happens there when you internalize that kind of uh, trauma. Yeah. And I guess, you know, th- I mean, the fact that you guys were almost like, isolated even though all of you kids were together but you were isolated Mm -hmm. by the staff you really didn't have anyone other than this one person who showed you affection or or bribes or or prizes or rewards Mm -hmm. and and it's it's such psychological manipulation for little kids right because the only person that you could trust was this person was who, the man in authority, but also yeah. the man who was signing the checks. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll, like, I, like I said to you, my grandparents uh, both worked at that school. And Star was also a family friend. Star was at their, at their fifth wedding anniversary. They looked up to Star. They thought the sun rose and set on Star. Who was I going to tell? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who is I going to say anything to? So that answers the question. Why didn't you say anything to anyone? Yeah. Yeah. No. And but, again, sir, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I, I think that pretty much um, that is the Coles version yeah. of the abuse. I don't want to get into the specifics, but let's just say um, the assaults were were brutal. And they left their marks, uh, ended up getting sick, probably in grade uh, eight, had to be hospitalized. Mm -hmm. Um, I witnessed 
my best friend try to hang himself in front of me? Yeah, just, I saw some other kids committed suicide during their tenure at school. It wasn't a lot, but there was some, but not in the school because the girls were also being abused. Mm -hmm. I don't want to leave that out, but not by star. The girls were being abused by another man that was a star's second in command, uh, a man from our, from our own reserve. And he uh, had abused the girls greatly. And, uh, I remember just hearing, you know, she killed herself. She didn't, she didn't come back. You didn't know then why she killed herself, mm -hmm. but in time, as you go, you went down. Yeah, That's and I guess what they leave out is when they talk about 6,000 kids dying in the schools, they don't really get into the details of how these kids were dying, right, and why they were dying. I, I think with that number, I think a majority of those numbers is because a lot of those kids uh, back then, had whatever illnesses came along through the school um, that they weren't uh, immune to. Um, uh, uh, Europe, European illnesses, um, uh, TB, TB yeah. was a big killer, was a big killer for the kids. Um, and they would just put him in a grave, just put him in the dirt, no marker, couldn't tell the parents because there was no way to communicate with the parents. The kids just would never, some people just don't know whatever happened to their kids. Some died um, running away. Mm -hmm. frozen to death trying to get away running away from their abusers trying to get home to their people getting lost in the snow um one of the more famous stories uh, is uh, charlie wenjack um was a sad story uh, in ontario and a young boy just trying to get home and he died uh, but that's just a there was you know there are records, like if you go online, you see, you hear this. The handwritten accounts are, they're very brief. Mm -hmm. Oh, two girls went swimming. Oh, they drowned. These are their names. That's it. No investigation, no, uh, everything just, just another dead Indian. That's all that was. Um, so I think that a lot of those numbers come from illness. Um, the kids not being able to uh, uh, handle, uh, I don't know, a European illness like TB or, you know, a lot of those illnesses came from when uh, colonization happened. Yeah. You know, yeah. smallpox, famously smallpox uh, with the blankets that they handed out to the, to the people, knowingly, yeah. <laughs> by the way. Um, but I think we're getting off track. Um, so, so that wraps up, I think, the abuse part, unless you wanted to. Well, I guess, well, I think, you know, I mean, coming out of the school then, like, obviously you said the abuse continued until you were in the, the senior kind of bracket. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then, you know, you get out of school and now you're back into the real world as you knew it um what was it like and i guess you know the the trauma or, you know 
again, I, it, it was buried, right? Yeah, I had, I didn't know that word. I didn't know that anything. I didn't, I thought that's just how things were. Yeah. That was just how things were. I, I don't know which other, any other better, better way to say it, you know, because I grew up with all those kids and I knew that they were going through the same thing. So um, I did leave Gordon's, one star left, which I think was 83, and he didn't leave. Things, if you go into the history of Star himself, you'll see that there was already a blueprint for this guy, even before he got to Gordon's. Mm -hmm. There was always already a record. And, and that is what would happen with people like Star or even the priests or the nuns. They, they, they would, uh, let's say they had an assault on somebody or they had an incident. They would never say what the incident was with a father of this or brother of this or whatever they were called. And they would just be transferred to another one. They weren't taken out of the system. They were just moved around mm -hmm. to keep doing what they were doing. Yeah. Um, now Star, yeah, Star had a history already of the incidents um, from what I've read, what I've seen online, because I've looked him up in recent years and uh, I wanted to know what happened to him. Yeah. I was curious and um, yeah, I just lost, lost his trail. Um, I, I, I do want to go a little bit, maybe more into during my tenure, during my time, we did, um, as opposed to the, the earlier generations where the, they were taking the, the native away, uh, we had uh, power dancing in our school, which is a type of uh, native dancing. That's mm -hmm. so how we celebrate our culture and things like that. So we would have that. And there was also cadets and a boxing club, which was Star's main. That was his main. Um, his main thing. He, a lot of the boys that were abused were, were boxers. Mm. Um, um, but that didn't stop him from abusing anyone else. It's just because that was his particular club. And when they went on road trips, well, like fair game. Yeah. You stayed in hotels. You stayed in hotels. You're driving in cars. Um, this is a much longer conversation. I'm sure you and I will touch on this again the way we connected in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I just don't want to beat a dead horse there. I think people get the point about how this grooming went in my particular case mm -hmm. and, and how in the generations before it was, uh, uh, I don't know if it was grooming or just outright violence. I do yeah. know there was sexual assault. I do know there was rape. I do know that there was uh, just uh, genocide on a culture on yeah a beautiful culture. yeah and, all out war on a culture and do you know if that was obviously like continuing like i don't know if you know this but continuing until the very end of when these schools got shut down or um like all forms of abuse were they still happening after you had left well i'll tell you yes that there had to have been i, I do know of one case of one man who did come back in my senior year, but was already a senior when I was a kid. So he came back and worked there. Mm -hmm. And he had 
um, I think, become an abuser on his own, in, in his own right. Well, I think the uh, cycle continues, right? Like it, it absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely does. So, yeah. Whereas it was the priests and the and the nuns in the early days, it was our own people, our own people, who grew up with a generation of parents who, I guess, thought that was normal. Just took away any coping mechanism, which is, I think, which is was one of the things they wanted to do. They just destroyed pretty much generations. Go, we'll yeah. go back a hundred years and what go back a hundred years in one family. Yeah. In, in one family. And yeah, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I think that that's the point. Uh, why uh, the culture is so in such a bad state of affairs, how you see rampant, rampant suicide, you see rampant drug and alcohol abuse, you see in, in, in reserves still, such yeah. extreme poverty, such extreme poverty. So um, in one way, they almost succeeded Yeah, in destroying an entire culture. They almost yeah. succeeded. And I guess people don't necessarily appreciate that impact right because i mean most people are mm -hmm. like well you know like how come this community can't get out of it they get all these benefits they get all this help but it's like the the, the perpetual cycle continues because you know systematically the kids are growing up in the same system and they're learning Absolutely. the same tr they're they're getting that generational trauma passed down to them and they're not able to generational trauma. Yeah. So that. I think people don't really appreciate that. And until, you know, and I, I guess in your case too, I mean, you know, obviously there's still a lot of trauma oh, uh, yeah. there. And, and I don't know if you can even deal with that type of trauma, um, you know, unless you're in intense therapy, but even that, I don't know, you know, if that would. I, I'll, I'll tell you how I, uh, the trauma will always be there. The seeds are there. It's yeah. always going to be inside me. But I should maybe mention now that I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm two years and I think 16 weeks sober today. But up until that time, I, the trauma, that's how I dealt with it, was mm -hmm. to numb it, to drink it away and deal with it, deal with the anger. But when I got sober in that first year, and I saw, I saw it for what it was. I saw the trauma for what it was. I accepted it and I looked at it and I was lucky and uh, to be able to have the skills or the tools to, to recognize it and go, there it is. Now, what are you going to do about it, Kurt? What are you gonna do about it? And in my way, I forgave it. I had to forgive it. I had to forgive it. Otherwise it was gonna own me for the rest of my life. It was always going to be something that was going to destroy me. And it, and it will if I let it. Mm -hmm. So I forgave it. And I'll tell you something, Ferk, I even thanked it. I said, thank you. Thank you for this journey. This is what brought me here now today. If that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. And then I released it. And I said, 
I won't let this be my prison anymore. This is, this is where I start again. Mm -hmm. And this is where I reclaim who I am. So in that process, in the last two years and 15 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever it may be, I'm reclaiming who I am and I'm reclaiming myself as a native man and learning who I am and what I should bring to my community. Mm -hmm. And um, there's work to do. Yeah. You know, there's work to do for my people and not only for my people, for, for all peoples who suffer trauma. And um, yeah. So that's how I that's how I dealt with the trauma. That I just forget. I had to forgive it. I had to forgive yeah. it, or let it, or let it kill me. And, yeah. Um, no, and I mean, you know, that's very inspiring. And I think most people, unfortunately, don't get to that state. Right? They let that yeah. trauma consume them, or they just try to escape it, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or even suicide. Unfortunately. I, yeah. I can count on both my hands how many times I've uh, been at the end of a rope, the end of a wire, arms cut up, pills, trying to trying to kill the pain. This world would be better off without me. And, and I always joke about it. <laughs> it's like, how many times can I try? I failed. I guess, and I, I say, I guess I'm just not good at it. Maybe I should quit. <laughs> Maybe I should just quit trying to off myself. Um, yeah, somehow I always survived. Someone found me or I was getting pumped out at the hospitals, uh, coming to with charcoal being forced down my throat. Uh, just, I was, if you can call that lucky, I was somehow I survived all those attempts, all those attempts, and um, and I'm grateful for that. And I guess in the end, that was another thing where I just said, uh, I guess I'm here for a reason. I'm not meant to die. Mm -hmm. So that that helped along with the recovery as well. And, there's something I have to do. So, and so I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. What I'm here to do, but um, there's a reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we may have, we may have gotten off topic there. Um, no, I mean, you know, I think, I mean, you know, this is, I can't even imagine how difficult this has been for you. Like just listening for, uh, on the other end here, I've just, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just in complete shock and, um, you know, I, I think, yeah, I mean, the fact that you've been able to do all this work and be sober, it's, it's mm -hmm. inspiring. And, you know, uh, again, I want to, I want, I want to sincerely thank you for sharing your story because, you know, Absolutely. I don't, I don't think we appreciate the difficulty that came being in those situations and, and yeah. Um you know, kind of a prologue to, to residential school was I was violent. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know how to cope with life. I didn't know I was, you know, to my partners, uh, as my family, I was, uh, 
Yeah, so, and, and that continued up until the last couple of years. And um, I'm just learning how to, learning who I truly am now that I'm sober, because I drank from the time I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. That's how I, you know, my father was also an alcoholic and uh, a pill addict. Um, it's just, uh, we were lucky to have survived it and uh, found a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I keep finding, I keep finding new ways, I keep finding new ways each day. I find new ways. And um, if I can help anybody, if this story helps anybody out there who has trauma or has been through this exact same thing, you're not alone. You're, you're not alone in this, in, 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 in any trauma, in sexual assault, um, be it from residential school, be it from, be it from anybody that might be listening today. Mm -hmm. Shame, pain, guilt, remorse. That's a fucking four apocalypse right there. Four horses of apocalypse right there. Just uh, there's help. You don't have to be lost. Wherever you are out there, know that you're not alone. Reach out for help. I've uh, I, I I looked for um, other residential school survivors like a support group, but I, I just mm -hmm. never uh, I never found one. I never found one. I, I got in contact with a man once, and then COVID happened. So you, I wasn't able to meet with him. So yeah. it would be if anybody, if anybody hears this out there and knows of anything like that, um, a residential school survivor or support group, then um, yeah, then let Ferk know, and he can let me know. Uh, yeah, or just comment. I mean, that'd be something I definitely be interested in. Um, Yeah, that's, I think, one of the main reasons I, I wanted to talk about this today was just to yeah. let people know you're not alone. Yeah. And that is the one thing we thought. We always think it's just us. Or I can deal with it. I've handled it. Yeah, that's the, the biggest mistake. Until, it, until it's too late. And for some of I have lots of friends who are dead now. Uh, the young man who hung himself in front of me, he, he did survive. But he eventually uh, succumbed to uh, uh, pills. I overdosed mm. but, uh, 10 years ago. Um, uh, best friend died, but he died of cancer. And he was, if it was not for him, he was my best friend growing up. My second best friend after the other one got uh, asked to leave the school after his suicide attempt and uh, he died. Uh, I know a couple of other boys that uh, succumbed to uh, suicide who were also in the same group. I do know of a few other guys who uh, lived through this, uh, but uh, we've never uh, had a chance to sit and talk. I think now that we're older men, now that we're, I would like one day to, to meet these other guys that I was in school with and, mm -hmm. and just talk with them and see how, how they're doing. And, yeah. Um, just know that they're not alone. Just like I know that I'm not alone in this. Yeah, yeah. And I think you touch on an important thing is I mean, you, you mentioned it earlier too, but I think part of the reason why it's done in silence is because of the shame and the guilt that people feel when they even talk about it, right? And Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was uh, kind of a running joke. I mean, they used to call us uh, stars boys, those of us that were chosen. Like, not every child was, was chosen. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, he would pick 
certain group out of, of every year that was there. Um, and uh, I was one of those. I was one, of, and they would, uh, the other boys would call us stars boys. This or make a joke out of it. So you were, it was ingrained like uh, to be ashamed. Mm -hmm. To, uh, to internalize that kind of teasing and uh, yeah, um, that's that. But uh, I'd like to say that I have. I, I don't have the storybook ending. I mean, but I have. I have, I have so far a story to continue, and a lot of them don't have that. Six thousand mm -hmm. is the number they put on it. Chances are there's more. Why? Well, and I think about all those other children that disappeared. Well, and, and at the same time, the 6,000 doesn't account for everyone that's carried the trauma and, and dealt with mm -hmm. it in, in harmful ways, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, no, that's that's just the number that they came up with. Yeah. That they, uh, yeah, that's, that doesn't, uh, those children that froze to death, those children that died, I mean, it's uh, a, a horrible legacy. It's a horrible legacy, and uh, one of the reasons I did this today is because a lot of people don't know that residential schools even existed. Mm -hmm. they, they don't know that, that yeah. this happened. That, uh, one of the greatest tragedy of Canadian history, a lot of people, it's not taught in school. I don't know if it is now. I don't know if it's part of the curriculum. Um, but uh, it, it definitely should be. Um, you know, again, a lot of it is what we hear in the media or through hearsay. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, there's not a lot of accurate information out there, as you mentioned. No. And, and even the whole idea around residential schools, it's not talked about. Um, you know, um, I don't think most people even know the concept of residential schools to begin with. So like, yeah. even knowing the type of abuse that took place, it's, it's, it's far-fetched. Like even for me, um, you know, I didn't appreciate the extent of it. And, and I think that's part of the problem is, is the awareness isn't there and we only hear one side of the story. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think part of the, this is, you know, podcast is to bring that awareness and hopefully people can learn and, and have more of an appreciation or, or if they can even do more to support the community, because, you know, like, that's what the community needs is support and mm -hmm. and not be judgmental. I think that's part of the other problem is, yeah. is, you know, there's a lot of judgment that gets passed around. Be curious, be curious, yeah. not judgmental. Instead of being curious, trade your mind to be curious, not judgmental. Everybody has a story. Yeah. Everybody has pain, everybody. So before you pass judgment, just remember that's a human being too. Mm -hmm. And and I had to work on that as well. I mean, yeah, every day, every day, yeah, I had to work on that as well. Remind myself, just to be curious and learn. And uh, we all have a lot, a lot of work to do, for um, sure, about everybody's culture, mm -hmm. and just to bridge these divides and this ignorance. And this uh, knowledge is key. Knowledge is the only way to. Uh, for sure. No, and Curtis, again, I, I just want to thank you um, for doing this and sharing your story. Like I said, uh, you know, it must be really tough to talk about. And, you know, I'm glad 
you are where you are today with mm-hmm. all the work you're doing and and having that different mindset and you know i'm super grateful for yeah. you to come here and, and have this conversation with me yeah yeah well that's the end of the episode thank you again for tuning in and uh, showing your support until next week <laughs>